pivot. The buzzword of 2020 has carried over to 2021. And for restaurants, this has meant bringing our food, drinks, and hospitality to the homes of our guests rather than our dining rooms. It's been a bit of a minefield for all of us, trying to navigate this foreign territory of deliveries. Well, say hello to your new best friend, Slurp. Slurp was created by JP then, the man behind Crosstown. And with his team, Slurp wants to help your business get across town. See what I did there? And into the mouths of people across the UK. Slurp is the leading e-commerce site that was built specifically for hospitality businesses, for operators, by operators, turning your website and social channels into slick online stores, making it easy for you to turn a profit. Slurp has grown rapidly during the pandemic, which means its launch period has happened with real life events, real life operators, making it easy for them to look at solutions and make your online business the best. Slurp allows you to have a fully customized checkout experience, complete control of delivery, instant payouts, live menu editing, delivery partners or use of your own fleet, national or local delivery, pre-order option, on-demand or pickup, all data is yours to keep, plus bolt-on order management software and their new service, Digital Marketing, to help you push those online sales through the roof. To find out more, head to www.slurp.com. The future is uncertain, but one thing we know is at home is here to stay. Let Slurp help get your business home. Do you speak Italian? Studiano Italiano, poco. <laughs> I should have learned more Italian because I spent so much time out here and have so many Italian friends. But I just, um, as an Aussie, I have a bit of a block with languages because I'm from the Gold right. Coast. And on the Gold Coast, you just never meet anyone from anywhere else, maybe from another state when I was growing up. And that was quite exotic. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, my name is Natalia Ribby, founder of LOR and a little restaurant in Margate called Barletta. And I'm Jane Walton, freelance content creator, ladies of restaurants, as well as various restaurants in Wales and Manchester, and my own side project, Bold Magazine. This is the LOR podcast, a weekly show shining a bright light on the incredible people doing amazing things in and around the world of food, drink, and then some. Each week, we'll interview someone who has a great story to share about their work in our industry. We really want to showcase the varied professions available in hospitality and how you might start as one thing and end up as another. Oh, how there isn't always a degree you can or need to achieve. And there are so many lessons to be learned from working in hospitality. With little more time, read a lot more time, on our hands in lockdown, we've started recording these sessions via Zoom, making our sound a bit less Michelin star and perhaps a bit more Bib Gourmand. Nevertheless, we hope you enjoy listening. Service! Well, so we're recording our, our next podcast, which is very exciting. This is like, it's all happening now, the LOR podcast. Thank goodness. I'm pretty psyched about today's episode because I've been following this person and I've met this person through the YBFs, which if you, if you don't know about the YBFs, they're the Young British Foodie Awards. Uh, they cover a range of topics, including chefs, front of house, baking, social media. You can follow them at the YBFs on Instagram to find out more and you can apply when we're allowed to do the awards again. They're so much fun. And this person is a judge in the giving back category, which was introduced in 2018 as a way to shine a spotlight on the people who are enriching their communities through food and drink. Uh, and if you follow him, can you believe it? We have a him on the Yellow Wire podcast. 
on Instagram, then, or you've had the immense luck of working with him at Jamie Oliver, then you would probably say that this category is a perfect fit for Danny McCubbin, who is a mentor, food campaigner, and social entrepreneur who has dedicated his career to promoting food-focused social enterprises and helping diverse businesses create social value with the belief that food has the power to transform lives. Amen. Uh, while Danny played a crucial role in Jamie Oliver's school dinners program and the Jamie Oliver 15 apprenticeship scheme, he is also the founder of the UK, and I hope I say this right because my Italian is crap, San Pandrignano <laughs> Association, uh, serving as their UK ambassador. This is a social enterprise in Italy, and it's one of the world's most progressive. They set up drug rehab communities, helping young residents overcome addiction through skills like winemaking, food growing, and restaurant placements. I absolutely love the sound of this. Through all of his work, he's established a worldwide network of both small and large social enterprises. He's consulted on different food-focused projects, fundraising, hosting supper clubs. Jesus, is there anything this guy hasn't done? Uh, but what I'm most excited about is what he's embarked on in 2020 and all of 2021, which is he's bought a house in Sicily, in Musamele, which he is renovating uh, to turn into obviously a house, but also a community kitchen to give back to the community. So welcome to the show, Danny. Thank you, Natalia. Thank you, Jane. And such an honor to be the first male on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It really, truly <laughs> is an honor. So um, <laughs> thank you so much. It's such an honor to have you um, reporting to us from Sicily. Si. 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 How, yes. how is your Italian? <laughs> Cosi, cosi. So, uh, yeah, I was just saying to Jane, um, you know, I have a little bit of a block of languages, but it's a baptism of fire here because it's a small town and hardly anyone speaks English. So, and also, um, you know, I'm getting the house renovated. So I'm, I'm dealing with uh, builders and the local utilities companies. I'm learning very, very, very quickly, which is the best way to learn. I think we're going to have to talk a lot more about your one euro house. I'm a sucker for anything home-related renovations. But I want to start from the beginning for those, you know, who don't know you, I guess. You're from Australia, but you were in the UK for several years. I guess, tell us about your journey through the food world. Sure thing. So, yeah, I actually was in London for 20, nearly 23 years. So I arrived in 98. My grandfather is from Kilmarnock in Scotland, and my grandmother is from... Braintree in Essex, uh, which is ironic because when I was Jamie Oliver's PA, he loved the fact that I had some Essex roots. But um, I, I traveled, I backpacked in 94, as like most Aussies do, and I took off for two years. Um, when I was 17, I went to boarding school in Lakefield in Ontario, north of Toronto. I always wanted to go back and visit all my friends and go back to school. So when I was 30, I traveled for two years. I just took off. And as most Aussies do, I just made sure that I had enough money to last for a long time. And I traveled everywhere, I traveled through Europe, um, stayed in London for a while, made it back to Canada, which I loved, and then went back to Oz. And I just couldn't settle down. I just had this, you know, had seen the world and I just felt. I loved Australia, but I wanted to experience more. So I had- Can I ask, the, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but so you were about, what, about 32 at this point then? Yeah, so that's when, I, uh, that's when I took off and came back to London. And I literally thought that I would just stay for another couple of years and get more traveling out of my system. But I had an a ancestry visa so I could work 
and I just loved living in London and had an amazing time and did travel, traveled more, and then ended up getting the job with Jamie, and that was for nearly 17 years, so that was kind of life-changing for me because it, it sent me on the journey, on the path that's led me to where I am now. And my grandparents were farmers back in Australia. And I also just grew up with food and my mum's, in fact, all my family are really good cooks and we just never had supermarkets. We grew our own food and I just knew about food. So yeah, working for, starting for Jamie at 2000 and beginning of 2003. Wow. So this is like peak Jamie. You know, yeah. I don't really feel like the Jamie roller coaster has ever gone down though I still think he really resonates with everyone and a global audience but I just always find him to be a positive light on our industry I really appreciate him absolutely he also takes takes risks right so he he, he does he's not afraid to say what he believes and he he, he his whole core is about helping people lead a better life through food and that's he's so dedicated to that but um yeah I arrived at uh, actually I arrived just as the first group of apprentices so the tv program had just ended were getting ready to graduate and I think there were maybe 14 people in the whole company and our office was above 15 in east London yeah it was an interesting time for me because I'd been traveling and I came back to London and I had no money and I just sent my CV out to all my mates. I was like, oh, you know, I'm looking for work. A friend of mine. So back then when people worked for Jamie, uh, it was either kind of family or people that were personally recommended because it was quite full on then with the press and the paparazzi and, and people were, you know, around this really? restaurant. It was extraordinary. And I was just very fortunate because a good friend of mine was Jamie's art director at the time. And he said, look, there's a job going in the office. They need a bit of an all-rounder, somebody who knows about food, obviously, but somebody who will get kind of stuck in and, and work. And I went for the job and I remember just being completely enamored with this restaurant with these, because no one was talking about social enterprise back then, you know, no one was talking about like you have a restaurant, that, a business that has social value as well. And I just was completely in awe of the apprentices and the atmosphere in that restaurant I mean I'm sure you've both been there when it was open it was just it just had this mag magic feel to it that there were good people doing good things and helping others what happened was I, I actually did some a project management course with IBM and learned about kind of digital and what was happening and for this job with Jamie because I had that experience I actually wrote a kind of like a whole synopsis on how we could improve Jamie's website and then I sent that off to Tessa. She emailed back and said, look, come in. You're obviously, you know, very, very keen and you're very enthusiastic and that's what we need. It really was um, one of those moments where there was luck involved, but also I just um, was quite tenacious about it. I was going to say, not, you sounded yeah. very tenacious. Yeah, but not in an aggressive way. It no. was just, yeah. I want to ask on that just... Yeah, keen is good, but it's obviously the the job market at the moment is just so different to how it was when you were entering that world. But there's so many key things in what you just said that I feel like this generation should keep in mind. Like, you know, just because the job maybe you want isn't there, but you like put yourself out there and maybe you don't get the job that you want, but asking further questions and seeing mm -hmm. how you can apply your skills to something that they already have. Like, don't be afraid. 
I guess, is there any other tips that you might give to the people listening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even before we had the, you know, this challenge of COVID, I think one of the things that I would always say to the graduates at 15 was like, volunteer, you know, like, like go and, and volunteer because through volunteering, you'll, you'll meet more people. Yeah, I think the job market is much more fluid these days as well. So, mm. you know, in particularly for chefs, they they kind of need to know uh, about social media and how to present themselves and how to tell their story. Um, you know, don't be afraid to go and study something that may not be related to the job that you want. So, for instance, you know, project management for me was back then was perfect. And I still think project management is you know, such a good skill to have because it can lead to, it, you know, crosses lots of different um, kind of areas. But for me, it was always volunteering. And I think that's where, uh, you know, I've, I've just, these doors have opened and these paths have been presented to me through volunteering. And I think that's now more than ever, particularly with what last year and, and what's happened, people, you know, people do want to give back and they want to kind of um, help each other, which is really important. Obviously, I want to talk so much more about the one year house. That's basically where I want to spend most of our time. But uh, Jane had a great question, which was, uh, how do you pick where to focus your efforts? Like what causes are most important to you? Good question. Uh, I, I guess for me, it's always really been about food, right? So I, I got from a very early stage, I got involved in, in fundraising and food. And then I became Jamie's PA a year after I started. So I think it was 2000, end of 2003, beginning of 2004. And as he became more busy, he asked if I could be the go-between between all the apprentices and the graduates and him, because he was obviously so incredibly busy, um, but still so wanting to be connected to all the apprentices. So I then, in a very informal way, started kind of mentoring and helping and looking at job opportunities for the apprentices and working with the charity team that, that was there. And then it wasn't long until that became a formal role, whereas where 15 paid for me to do a life coaching and mentoring course to mentor the actual graduates. So that just then opened up so many more doors to me because then I got very involved in kind of um, youth issues and working with young people that have challenges with drugs and alcohol. And But in answering your question, I always don't say no to anyone. So um, I, I, I have that in my, in my soul, but I'm also very conscious that it's no point in me becoming stressed and exhausted if I'm wanting to help somebody else. Like I've got to be in a good place to do that. So for instance, I'll give you an example. The One Euro House project over here, there are so many people that are interested in, can you buy a house for one euro? And, you know, is it true? And I put myself out there and said, if you have any questions, you know, ask me and people are asking. So, you know, I think it's a conscious choice of do I have the time to do that? It's incredible in life how you can help and volunteer without sometimes having to give a lot of time. So it could be you introduce somebody to somebody else, or you send an email on someone's behalf, or you leave a nice comment on somebody's social media post, or, you know, giving isn't necessarily the old concept of you have to, you know, give for hours and hours and hours. It can come in, in many different forms. What is it about food, do you think, that's so powerful? Well, well food is the, the one thing we all have in common, right? So it's, 
everyone has to eat. So it crosses boundaries, it crosses countries. For me, it's always been, I remember in Australia with my family, you would always, if somebody was having a challenge in life or there was a, a bushfire or something happened, you would always arrive with food. And my family are very much like that. They're very much, um, I'm surprised they're not Greek in some way. but Or Italian. Or Italian, exactly. I mean, how, how amazing would that be? <laughs> but I think, you know, food, food is so powerful. I mean, look what's happened this last week with all the images of the awful um, meals that have been served to kids. I mean, you could stand up and you could tell that, but this is, food is visual, right? It's this thing that you have on your plate. It's, it's a way of connecting. It's a way of sharing. It's a way of looking after each other, you know, Jamie used to tell these stories of villages in, in the UK where they would have a kind of like the, um, an oven and everyone would bring their bread along to bake the oven and chat to each other. And, you know, food is connected for sure. It is. I really mm -hmm. do think that. And working in hospitality, I've always felt like the people I work with are like my family. Like I have my best friends that I waited tables with in New York City, you know, that I was on my knees scrubbing, you know, God knows what, <laughs> refilling soy pots. But yeah, I think it is all about connecting people. I do, because it's such a meaty topic, want to dive into this one Euro house. Yes. Because obviously through your career, I don't think I would have said, Danny's going to move to Sicily and buy a one Euro house. Yeah. Like what made you come to that decision? So I've been volunteering for San Patrignano for over 10 years. And in my heart, I've always pictured myself living in Sicily. That So basically, I'll rewind a little bit. I left my job with Jamie last year. Uh, I resigned in May and then left in October. My mom wasn't so well back in Oz, so it was, I was really conscious that I needed to get home for longer than a couple of weeks. Thank goodness she's absolutely fine now. I left on a high as well. So I was culture manager for Jamie for two years for the organisation, which was the most incredible job. And so I wanted to always leave when I was at you know, on an absolute high. And that job was extraordinary for me. So I'd kind of been forcing what the next step would be for me. And, and, and it, nothing was ever working, really. I'd been doing some paid for public speaking. I'd been speaking at some conferences. I'd, you know, I'd been doing a certain amount of kind of paid work, which was totally fine because I was part-time at the culture manager role and everyone within the organisation was fine that I do that. Uh, but nothing ever came about that I would go, okay, I'm, I can kind of comfortably leave. So I just thought I'd go home to Australia for three months. And then ironically, after I resigned, uh, the production company was uh, uh, contacted me because Channel 4 had commissioned a six-part series where they were following the six stories of people from the UK who buy a one-year house in this town of Musmeli. Uh, and so they flew me here a couple of times and... I was like, mm, you know, I'm really flattered that you think I'd be good as a contributor, but I don't have much affinity with the house, the town, not the house, sorry, the town. I'm used to going to Emilia Romagna and Tapatriano and Tuscany and all my friends. And so I, they flew me here, I think, three times. And I, and I just, I said no, and I kind of, that was it. <laughs> and then I was running around Hyde Park um, after I'd said no to them. And I had this idea that maybe they might be interested in me turning it into a social project so that if I collaborate with San Patrignano, 
crowdfund to get the money together. Sam Patrignano come, uh, renovate the house with me, and then we set up kind of a studio space or a space for them for the graduates to come. Can I just say on that, that, that yeah. idea came to you while you were running? The power of exercise. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Especially for somebody who has like 500 voices in his head. Ever. Oh. The moment he wakes up, the moment he gets <laughs> Running just tells me, stop, slow down. And you'll think, I just love it. Yes. Um, I, want to, I like to encourage our community to like stay active because so many yeah. times in our industry, we are so tired. We're working yeah. doubles. Everyone just puts exercise as the last thing they want to do. But yeah. great things come from exercise. For sure. <laughs> Thank for you sure. for sharing. Yeah. Later. So you're going to crowdfund? You were like, I'm going yeah, to crowdfund. Yeah, so, so basically I, I, we started filming. So I, I left work. We started filming November last year. It was third of way through this. Oh, sorry. I went back to the production crew in Channel 4 and I said, look, I've got this idea. And I said, look, we love it. Like, it's just a nice fit for all the different stories. I, we started filming here. We saw 30 houses. I bought the house, went through the process, chose the architect, Nicola, started filming, walking through the house, what we're going to do, keeping a video diary of everything, go back to Australia, come back February 17th on my way here to Musamele to live and start the program. And then obviously COVID happens. Basically the TV series got canceled, which is totally understandable. That was around June. And then in July, I just said, I'm going. My heart is set in this town. And at the time too, I was um, volunteering. Um, I set up a uh, community kitchen in North Kensington church in a church there and then I was working for a little charity running a community kitchen in Clapham with St Mungo's and so I was very involved in community kitchens and using surplus food and then cooking for you know vulnerable people and so then I had the idea well hey my house is going to be a community kitchen in Muslim Valley. so it was hard to leave London. Obviously, my friends are there. I don't know anyone in this town, but I just knew in my heart that I have to finish this project because I've started it. I had bought the house already anyway because all the paperwork had gone through. I was very lucky. So the one euro house project started uh, because there's depopulation in a lot of these towns and young people are leaving because there's no jobs and then the families have no one to leave these houses to. So some are abandoned, uh, some are in complete ruin. So I want to find out who started it actually, but it's such a brilliant idea. It became a little bit kind of like a, a news story, like CNN picked it up, whole kind of like fascination about these houses. One thing I made sure was I chose a house that doesn't require a major renovation, so the foundations are fine. There was no family members still alive that had any claim on the house and everything was relatively easy. So the paperwork was 2,800 euros. And then I paid a euro for the actual house and wow. I'm moving into the house in the 7th of Feb. So I just left and I think kind of COVID and that whole experience for a year, you know, my story pales into insignificance about the TV program being cancelled compared to what people are going through. And... I thought I, I never thought I would say this, but I'm actually really glad. I'm glad that there's no TV here because I have total curatorial control over what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm telling the story from my heart. I'm doing it organically. I'm taking my time with everything to make sure that when we do, when I do open the kitchen, that it fits with the town, that I'm not kind of, you know, muscling in on anyone else's territory. And then I'm yeah. just doing it in a very kind of, um, authentic and transparent way yeah that's what's the local yeah. reaction been like so there's 120 houses that have sold in Musamele to foreigners so wow. 
everyone in this town has absolutely welcomed them. So a lot of them are second homes for Europeans. Uh, some have moved here as well. You know, I, I walk in, there's a, a lovely chap, Enzo, who runs the local bakery just down the corner, around the corner for me. And every time I go in to, to get my bread every day, he introduces me to everyone at the bakery. And he goes, ah, Danny, Australiano, uno casa. And everyone's like, oh, bravo. It's just like, and I kind of understand. I'm kind of like cheery and I'm just like feeling like just extraordinary. But they honestly, you know, I met today uh, of all days. Um, I had the police and the deputy mayor come and visit me to verify that I, who I am so I can get my Italian residency. And I actually got a little teary afterwards. Um, a little bit teary now, actually, only because it's been such a long journey, right? It's like two years that in the planning and then a whole year being here. But in the morning, I was sweeping out the front of my house and this lovely elderly chap walked past. I could I understand he was saying, you know, are you the owner of the house? And I introduced myself and, you know, I said that I'm from Australia. I'm telling everyone I'm from Australia. It's quite funny. And he was born in the house, and his mum lived there. <gasps> no. Giuseppe, yeah. So then wow. another neighbor came and chatted to me, and this is where I know I have to have Italian. So we all had conversations about me, and he said bravo, and was really happy that I'm doing something with the house. So I love that because I feel like the Italian culture they're so deep rooted in family, and yeah. it this project that you're working on. I it's about putting roots down and, and bringing the community together. And that's what they're all about, Italian. Yeah, community, absolutely. family, you know. I love Italy. I love Thank Sicily. Oh. Yes. I might be your neighbor one day, Danny. Absolutely. Watch out. I'm coming. I think, I think number 42 is going for two years. Okay, well, find me up. <laughs> I want to come back to what you were saying, though, about obviously you moved there and you were like, I'm just going to go. Because you said, you know, you love London, you've got all your friends there. Just for people who maybe are thinking about making a move, whether it be to buy a one-year house or just move to like the next city, it can be quite scary when you're quite settled somewhere. How have you found, I guess, not having your friends around? I traveled a lot when I was younger. So I, you know, at 17, I'd never been on an airplane and I flew from the Gold Coast to Sydney, Sydney, Hawaii, Hawaii, LA, LA, Toronto, Toronto, two-hour bus to Lakefield. And had never been on an airplane. So, you know, I have that kind of reference point of other countries and culture and people. And, you know, my London door is not closed, right? So people, yeah. I know so many of my friends are going to be, and, and people in the industry I've worked with as well, will come and be a part of this too. And the hardest part, Natalia, was it was very, very cold when I arrived. The house that I'm renting has no heating and it rained for the first week. So so it was kind of like <laughs> I didn't have a <laughs> So a couple of times I was just like, what, what have I done? But then if anything around COVID, it's shown us that we can lead a more simple life. Like I bought a suitcase and I'm wearing half of what I need to wear. I just, you know, I just, just don't need clothes. I'm reading more. I'm writing in my journal. I'm meditating more. I'm creating artworks in my house as well which I've just absolutely I know I've seen those they're so gorgeous I love the one that you did with the green bottles yeah thank you I I actually have an art degree from Australia that's I know yeah and I love that too and I have a theater degree which obviously I've done absolutely nothing with I I read that post about you know how you yeah you had this art degree and obviously you didn't end up going into the arts and I think that happens a lot with people who work in in the hospitality industry 
Yeah. Yeah. In school for something, and then we end up, you know, working in a restaurant and so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's nice to see that, you know, you don't have to use your degree right away. It is something yeah. you did and enjoyed, and you can use it later in life, and it can mm-hmm. influence your life in a really positive way. It doesn't necessarily have to be this financial thing that you do, yeah. like make money for yourself. Or- Absolutely. I think it's been a lovely process for me because I feel like every time I create something, I'm paying homage to the objects that are still in my house and to the lady that lived there. Um, and it's a quite reflective moment too, to do that. And I think that's really important. So I want to hear more about this community kitchen. If you don't follow Danny, you need to, it's Danny for good now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you changed it. I was like, I like it. I was, yeah, well, I was telling <laughs> Telling Italians here, I was meeting them, they were saying, oh, what's your Instagram? I'm like, don't even they're like, look, look, So I just, and my blog, my blog is good for good. Yeah. So, and the project, the crowdfunding project is going to be called Cooking for Good, Musamelli. So I just changed it to Danny for Good. And like, that's so easy to remember. So, so good. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but you. if you don't follow Danny already, it's Danny for Good. Danny Please for good. follow him. And you can see a lot of the context. It'll give a lot of context what we're talking about here. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so I know that you've shown it was an old stable. Is that right? Where the kitchen's Yes. I discovered after I bought the house, actually, that there's a stable attached. And a lot of these houses in the old town, uh, they're, they're owned by farmers, right? They're out in the field all day. And so a lot of them don't have outdoors, so I don't have a terrace or an outdoor space. And they have a stable attached where they would take the horse out to farm all day and then they'll bring the horse back and then they would actually sleep in the stable to keep warm. So there's this beautiful stable, which is just adjacent to my house. I originally thought I would have the kitchen running out of there, but my architect, um, the wonderful Nicola, suggested that it might be quite difficult to turn the stable into a kitchen so we, the house has got uh two levels and it's deceiving from the front because it's actually quite big so we're going to install the kitchen on the first floor and then the stable we're going to turn into kind of like a little studio space sleeping space for the chefs i am going to crowdfund to get a pot of money together to renovate the house and by the way for the crowdfunding to the house i'm planning on either giving back to the town or giving back to a charity or an association that I'll be collaborating with on the project. Because when I do the video in the, in, for the crowdfunding, that it's not a renovation for Danny to have his holiday house. It's like this whole project is a, is a project about social value. So, and I'm really conscious of finding out, obviously in Musameli, what's going on in terms of food-based charities or charities that are helping people, uh, vulnerable people with food. And on the surface, it looks like quite a kind of not affluent town, but it's hard to kind of see those that might be having challenges in life. And I was sort of a bit worried about that, but I've just started asking and talking to people. So I met with the local Padre, Padre Valdesia from the church a uh, big church in the center of Musmele. And because of COVID, a lot of people have lost their jobs. So he's actually um, feeding a lot of families from the actual church. So he said, absolutely, we could partner together and I could provide food for him. Then I'm working with the mayor and the municipality to find out what other projects are going on. And it's quite extraordinary, actually, because this tiny town has got so much happening in terms of community and pointing before about Italians helping out others 
There's a, an association around the corner called Strauss, which is like Erasmus, where they have students from all over Europe that come and live in the town and do community projects. So they're starting a community kitchen garden project um, in the town. So I went to them because they do Italian lessons and I signed up for Italian lessons. And oh. the lady said, the, actually, the lady saw me, the CEO saw me on Instagram. She was like, oh, you must come in and speak to us. And so obviously they want to then collaborate on the, the kitchen. But what I've discovered too is it's really important for me that I we start small here, start small, obtainable, something that is, um, uh, you could get the uh, metrics on it as well in terms of is, is it being successful, is it valuable, do, do the families enjoy the food, do they eat it, do they throw it away, What it's really, really important that we do that. So I, I'm going to start with just collaborating with Padre Valencia and start with the families and then get the kitchen up and running, get it happening, working with the supermarkets too, because the supermarkets don't have any food waste program here to start with. So choose one supermarket to work with to get that up and running. Um, and then a couple of months down the track, start then talking to the other charities that um, are here. And then the, the second thing that I was concerned about um, was I'm gonna crowdfund and all my kind of network is, is based in the UK. Would people feel that they would want to give to something that was to this tiny town in the middle of Sicily? Yeah. And so <laughs> I, they, the answer so is yes. I, I thought, because I've always knew that I would have volunteer chefs coming along to volunteer in the kitchen. And also, you know, people have been emailing, contacting and Instagram and saying, please, can I come, come and volunteer? So what I've decided to do is to, to actually launch a chef's community kitchen training program, young chefs, emerging chefs, those that have come from vulnerable backgrounds, those that need a, you know, a, a bit of a, uh, a helping hand, they will come, I will raise enough money that we'll pay them some expenses, they'll live in the house, they'll volunteer to cook, but in doing that, they then will learn how to be a community cook. Because of my food education background and my contacts with Jamie, we'll design a community kitchen cook course which is very basic. So it's like, how do you surplus food? How to um, bulk cook? How to preserve? They will go away with those that actual course. So then when they go back to London, they can then either volunteer at a kitchen or they can set one up themselves. Conversely, I'll also teach them social media skills and we'll do private dinners and supper clubs in the house. So then they can kind of show everyone their style of food as well. So I think- You're gonna need way, some help, Danny, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll come. But I think then it becomes international, right? So it doesn't just doesn't become about, you know, it, there might be a young chef from Wissameli, there might be some from Belgium, there might be some from London. And so once it's up and running, then I think the space will probably move into something a bit bigger. Um, and then I hope others um, will get inspired to use their houses or turn the houses into some sort of social project as well. I'm inspired. I've been wanting to do like a ladies of restaurants kitchen somewhere that like has this rotating pop-up for emerging female chefs. Yeah. But obviously getting that off the ground in the UK, it comes with a much higher expense than, than maybe somewhere else in the world. But that's yeah. not to say that dream can't come true. You definitely true. inspired me. True. Uh, Danny. Well, um, yeah, sounds I, mean, amazing. I could literally talk to you all night about this. Um, we like to end our interviews with just a few uh, silly questions. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for silly. Um, my favorite one is, um, what do you dip your chips in? 
<laughs> oh no, I'm gonna be really boring now because I because I've been making this this dip here, which is really healthy. Because like you chips, you, you you know, it should be like sour cream or Philadelphia or whatever. But I've been getting white beans with the most amazing olive oil and garlic and a little dollop of mayonnaise. And I've been, I've got no cooking equipment in this house, getting a fork and just like mashing it all up and then dipping, I would say chips, but they're little crusted, brown crusted things. But it's That sounds so delicious. Good. It's so good. Yeah. It's really good. Wait, so good. I'm going to write that one down. White bean, white bean mayo. White bean, garlic, mayo, olive oil. Okay. The bit of salt and pepper. It's just like, oh, so good. What's the... On all your travels, what's the craziest thing you've eaten? Well, I once went to the Fat Duck <laughs> with Jamie and they served anchovy ice cream. Not my cup of tea. No. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty pretty wild combo. Yeah. And then this is a controversial question because obviously we're talking about like nice food. But what is your guilty pleasure fast food. Okay. Doritos with plastic cheese <laughs> in the microwave <laughs> with chili sauce. Oh, wow. Wow, Danny, that is... <laughs> I'm going to write, <laughs> write that one down. Wait, what kind of Doritos, though, are we talking about? Oh, yeah, cheese, cool good old, good old fashioned cheese. cheese. And that right. plastic cheese that has the plastic, like the slice. The American plastic Yeah, cheese. rip it up, put it on top in the microwave and chuck chili oil, chili, um, chili sauce all over it. Wow. I mean, I'm not like, you know, going to say I love it. this I... podcast. I love this podcast. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you got me telling the absolute truth and I'm all about transparency and truth. <laughs> That's what we got. We got to be honest. That's the only yeah. way that, yeah, I think it makes people feel insecure if you lie. This actually isn't a silly question, but... What's your favorite thing to cook for the people? So I cook Christmas Day here. Um, it's something in Australia we call picky bits. And it's where you actually make lots of different dishes and you have a big table and then everyone shares all that food. So on Christmas Day, I did a fennel and orange salad with ripped mozzarella and the fennel leaves come oh. on top, artichokes and tomato. I did my world famous now smashed bean bruschetta. <laughs> world famous. World famous. Um, I'm pretty good at roasting a good old chicken for my mates. I think that's a really good skill to have. I yeah. think everyone should yeah. know how to roast a good yeah. old chicken. Yeah, and, and good old Jamie, Jamie introduced me into a lot of slow cooking. So one of his recipes is shoulder of pork with apple cider and fennel. Um, which you put in the oven for like seven hours is just extraordinary. So, yeah, I think I, I think I wow my friends with slow cooked meats, which lovingly mm. sit in the oven. Danny, it's been so lovely to see you. Obviously, our listeners are only listening, but we are on a Zoom call, and it's been yeah. so lovely to see you and chat to you. And I can't Thank wait to you. come to the one euro house. Absolutely, you're yes. all welcome, and please do come. Thanks, Natalia. Thanks, Jane. It's it's very nice to actually chat because I uh, there's some days I just don't speak it's kind of quite <laughs> <laughs> like lockdown here <laughs> it's nice to see some faces yeah. yeah we 
can uh, round up a squad of LORs to come and volunteer whenever you're Absolutely. ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. And any young chefs you find that would be interested in. Absolutely. Grazie mille. Grazie mille. You've been listening to the LOR podcast. Please like and subscribe. If you'd like to hear more about Ladies of Restaurants, head to our website, www.ladiesofrestaurants.com or check us out on Instagram at Ladies of Restaurants, where we will fill your feed with upcoming events, news, delicious food, and of course, lots of lulls. This podcast has been made possible by Slurp, edited by Grace Campling, an original track by Peter Van Housen.